So not all of you know me very well, but um, looking up here, you can, you can see who I am, how big I am. 25 years ago, um, I started growing uh, so fast that uh, my bones grew faster than my muscles. And um, for 25 years, I've had some pretty serious knee problems. Uh, for a little while in my 20s, I actually used the cane daily. Um, and uh, it's just something I've dealt with all my life. And it's gotten worse lately as uh, I've gotten a little older and put a little more wear and tear on them. Taking, to, uh, taking a handful of pills every morning just to, you know, get through the day. And um, on Friend Sunday, I knew I was going to be out in the field and helping out with uh, the dunk tank. And um, for some reason, I forgot to take my pills that morning. And uh, I was sitting in church and uh, listening to the message, and my knees were just spasming and in and, and pain and... And um, people started to come forward and were being prayed for. And, and I've seen that before, and I've, I've always just thought that was for, for other people and, um, and just wasn't, wasn't what I needed and what it wasn't for me. And um, something in my, in my brain that I know was the Lord said, it's time. It's time. Get up there. It's time. And um, since then, I've had absolutely no knee pain. About five. About about five guys from from the church laid their hands on me and and um, something broke in me and I was able to accept the healing and um, got out there had fun um, played some wiffle ball. Um, I've played a couple of uh, pretty serious, friendly games of volleyball since then with um, no knee consequences. I won't say anything else about the rest of my body. But um, I received a miracle that day. And, um, and I think that um, we need to acknowledge him for what he did. Wow. And, uh, thanks, Steve. Awesome. Awesome. I tell you, it has been an amazing summer. It's just incredible what God has been doing this summer. I'm so blessed to be a part of this, this community. And Steve, just praise the Lord. Amen. That is so good. And um, it's, it's been an exciting summer. I, I was thinking about Tom Gordon. How many of you heard, were here when Tom uh, preached? He's the senior pastor over at Hope Foursquare. They're literally like a good, you know, Callaway driver down the road. And they came and he spoke. And you guys gave a love offering to him. And it was a really big love offering. And it got me really excited to see us uh, show that kind of love to a pastor down the road. We gave $1,300 to the mosquito net uh, offering that was going to save lives um, from those that, uh, to protect them from the disease of malaria. Uh, to see how many of you volunteered and, and served at Friends Day was incredible. 
It was absolutely incredible to see you uh, do the water outreach, to see just how many of you were willing to give your time. Summer, I get it. It's precious. It's sacred. It's, it's nice out. You, you, know, you know that October through May is coming. And so you, you really want to you know, take advantage of those, those months. But yet there you were giving of your time. And Marcy Mayer, she had two, not just one potluck at her house. She had two potlucks at her house. Uh, kids camp or summer camp for junior high and senior high. How many kids did we have? 36? Okay, more than I thought. We had 36 kids go to summer camp, which was incredible. We had Ray Wright go to Ghana. He was in Ghana. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible things happening. We had two baptisms. We had several healings, including uh, Steve Powerville. I've got to put that on my list. And then we had over 20 salvations this summer. And I was just wondering if we could just celebrate the Lord, give him thanks for all that he did this summer. Just appreciate him. God, you are good. You are good all the time. You are good. You are good. We praise you, God. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, God. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. You are worthy of our adoration, God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And it's been a fruitful season. But if you ask anyone on my leadership team or on my council, I think they would all say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The harvest is ripe and we are willing to do the work that God has prepared for us to do. God has given us this time to bring in the harvest. It's not over. It's only the beginning. See, one day Jesus will return. But until that day, we have work to do. Second Peter 3, 3-9 says this. It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord, he is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, listen up. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, we're in a season of God's patience. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance, turn from their sins, accept the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So buckle up. He's calling you into the workforce. Buckle up. Be engaged in what God is doing. Read your Bibles. Pray to Him. Worship Him. Sing to Him. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Join a life group. Join a life group. Here's a life group plug. Life groups are simply a small group of people doing life together. Every one of us is either going into a crisis or coming out of one. It's just how life goes. But we need a community to walk with us through the ups and downs of life. That's why we invest in life groups. That's why they are a priority at this church. Next week, we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up for life groups. As Nike would say, just do it. I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm just too busy, right? Pastor Dan, you don't understand. I am so busy. And maybe you are. You know, maybe there isn't enough time in your schedule to meet with other believers during the week. I get that. Some of you are really busy. So this is what we're going to do with life groups. The first couple of weeks, you're not making any commitment 
to, turn, to, to attend a life group. No long-term commitment, no signing in blood, just none of that. You're simply just checking it out. So I want you to sign up, see what life groups are all about, discover if it's something that you want to be a part of, all right? All right? Can we do that? No pressure, no obligation to keep going. But would you just make the commitment, or would your family make the commitment to at least go once, maybe even twice? And don't stress about it. People just stress about this stuff so much. You're not going to let anybody down if you stop coming. If you're supposed to keep going, I know you. The Lord will tell you you're supposed to keep going if you're supposed to keep going. If you're not, no worries. But check it out. Check it out. We're going to give you that opportunity next week to sign up. Many of you, you feel like you don't know anybody here at the church. Ever, raise your hand. You feel like you just don't know anybody at the church. A lot of us feel that way, right? And guess what? You probably don't because there's a lot of new people. I don't even know everybody in this church these days. So life group is a pretty sweet way, I think, to get to know people. But we got a couple of other things going on as well. we got a women's small group that's starting up Thursday mornings. It's a life group Thursday mornings. If you're a woman and you got Thursday mornings open, you should go to that. We have a women's retreat coming up in October. A women's retreat. You just got to go to that. My wife, I heard some of the planning details. She's bringing in a worship team from Spokane. She's bringing in a doctor to speak. My sister. And then... <laughs> but, I mean, there's just not going to be a better women's retreat this year. So you got to go. If you're a man here today, you heard Jason. Mark September 19th, Thursday night, onto your calendar. We're going to be, be meeting every Thursday night here at the church. We're going to learn what it means to be a man of God. Men, aren't you tired of wasting your life? Our men's ministry will challenge you to live boldly for God. Again, you can sign up for both the women's retreat and men's ministry out the Welcome Center. Do it today. Don't wait. Don't wait. The discipleship process here at LifeSpring has totally been revamped, reorganized. So now we have four classes. So anyone who calls LifeSpring at some point should be going to these four classes. Like Jason said, LifeSpring 101 is now called our Meet the Pastors class. So if you want to go to LifeSpring 101, you're going to the Meet the Pastors. It's the day after church at the Forge. If you want to go, if you want to get to know us, if you want to know what we're all about, this is the class for you. LifeSpring 201. It's our foundations class. It starts next week. Almost everyone in this room should be signed up for that class. It's a three-week class on what Christianity is all about. If you want to be a member of LifeSpring, but you don't know if you're a member, it's been kind of confusing for a couple of years, well, this class is for you. At the end of this three weeks, you will have an opportunity to become a member of LifeSpring. I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) Now, you can take this class and decide not to be a member. It's not mandatory to become a member. But for those of you that want to take that next step, this class is how you do it. So I don't care if you've been a Christian for one week or one year. Sign up for that class today. So these are just a few of the exciting things that are going on here at LifeSpring. And we're going to be announcing more in the weeks to come. we got a marriage seminar coming up. Scott and Holly, raise your hands. Scott and Holly and a couple other power-packed couples in our church are going to be putting on this Art of Marriage conference. After the conference is over, they're going to be starting a marriage small group. You're not going to want to miss it. We have a youth retreat coming up in Ocean Shores when it rains a lot, I heard. Last year it rained a lot, so just bring your rain jacket, but kids don't care, right? And we got Operation Christmas Child coming up. we got so many things down the pipeline. So again, buckle up. God loves the communities of Fife, Milton, and Edgewood. He does. He loves them. He sent his son for them. But he loves them through people like you and me. And he loves them through churches like Hope Foursquare, like North Hill Seventh-day Adventist, and like LifeSpring Foursquare. And if we're going to love our community with the love of God, we must first know the love of God ourselves. We need to be equipped 
We need to be prepared in the things of God and what we say and what we do. That they're not just based on human emotion, right? You can say a lot of things just because you're excited or because you're sad or angry or mad. And they're not going to be based just on our intellect or what we learned about God on the History Channel. No, see, the love of God that we show the world, it must be based on the Holy Scriptures. It must be based on the Word of God, not the most recent fad, not the greatest, latest book, or the greatest, latest preacher. We are to be grounded in the living Word of God. The Word of God is God-breathed and inspired. It gives us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be everything that we need to be, to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. His word, it lights the way on how we are to navigate through this thing that we call life. So with that being said, if you have your Bible or your smartphone, go ahead and open it up or turn it on. Yes, you can have your Bibles and your phones in church. They are both legal. (laughs) Just don't check the Seahawks score, Jason Dre. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be finishing Ephesians, the last two chapters of Ephesians. I'm not doing anything fancy with it. We're just going to be walking through them verse by verse. They will challenge us, probably offend us, make us squirm and uncomfortable, maybe even make us sweat because the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. I love this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the what? Of the heart. So that's why, you know, by the way, that's why the enemy does everything he can to keep you from opening up your Bibles. Because he knows how powerful it is when you do. And these two chapters, they're going to hit us right between the eyes. See, God wants to speak to all of us by his word. So let's pray. Let's open our hearts. Let's ask God to reveal himself to us today. Lord Jesus, we need you. This world gets very confusing And there is so much that clutters our viewpoint. We need the clarity of your word. Shine forth today, Lord. Shine forth. Shine forth. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the beginning, Ephesians 5. Follow with me on the screen or in your Bible or in your smartphone. Number one, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children... And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So we're jumping back into chapter 5. If you add the last verse of chapter 4 with the first two verses of chapter 5, it reads like this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So these are some pretty serious instructions on how we're to treat one another, right? We're we're to be kind. We're to be compassionate. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave us. And we're called to walk in the way of love. 
So follow God's example. God has forgiven you and me and Christ, so we ought to forgive one another. Follow God's example. Verse 2 of chapter 5 tells us that as Christ loved us, we are to walk in the way of love, which simply means as Christ loved us, we are to love God and love others. Follow God's example. We are to forgive and to love. And where does this forgiveness and love come from? Where does it come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. The passage says, follow God's example. Follow God's example in love and forgiveness. The New Living Translation says, imitate God. The Greek word, nimitase, which means more than just to follow, but to truly imitate. In a positive sense, not a negative imitation, but in the most positive sense. A mentor or someone of high regard whom you admire, who is worthy of being emulated. What do you do? You imitate them. You follow in their footsteps. We are instructed by Paul to follow God as his dearly loved children because he is our father. So many of us in this room, we just had dads that were not good fathers. They were not good to us. I happen to have a great dad, but many of our dads, they tried their best, but they just struggled to be good dads. But the reality is, as a kid, good or bad, you want your dad to be a hero, right? You want him to be your hero. You want to look up, at, look up to your dad, right? You want to emulate your dad. You want to go to school and say that my dad can beat up your dad, right? It's just the way things are. And my dad, he was an amazing athlete. Uh, we have a newspaper article of him scoring 50 points in a basketball game. When he would play tennis, he would play in all the community tournaments, and he'd win every single one of them. And I loved it. See, he was my hero, and I told everybody about my dad. And guess what I worked and tried my darndest to be good at? Basketball and tennis. And because as his child, I, what was I doing? I was trying to follow in his footsteps. And here Paul says that you have a perfect father in heaven who is full of forgiveness and full of love. And you are his child. It's time to be like your daddy. Follow God's example. And verse 2 says, walk in the way of love. I love that imagery, right? Walk in. Just walk in. In the way of love. Not walking by the ways of this world. Not walking by our own sinful nature. Not walking by our own fleshly desires, but we're walking down the path of love. The idea of walking in love, it gives us the idea that life is a journey. Life is a journey and love is the road. And as Christians, as we daily progress down this road, love, it's going to grow, isn't it, right? Love, as a Christian, we all, we all know this, right? Love, it will increase and it will become the defining characteristic of who we are. So walk in the way of love. And I, and I don't know about you, but sometimes in our culture... It seems like love, it is completely absent on the journey. And, and if it's found anywhere, it's sometimes found in the destination. Now let, me, let me explain it to you this way. I, I was the best man at Adam Hoffman's wedding last weekend. It was awesome, absolutely beautiful. I'm excited for both of them. I mean, if you were at that wedding, they could not get the smiles off of their faces. They were so happy, so excited. But Jason Dre and, and Adam Henderson and I, we were the, what is that called? The groomsmen in the wedding. And, and we were talking to the photographer and she was, she was awesome and great. And it was weird though. I'm totally getting sidetracked, but we were in an RV. Cha- they told us to change and she was going to take pictures while we were changing. It was just awkward. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I already had my pants on and everything, but I felt like I had to text my wife and just be like, I want you to know what happened. Nothing happened. We're okay. 
But she was telling us about some of the weddings she does. And she said the last wedding that she did, she, she told us that the bride was a bridezilla. And I said, well, what do you mean? And what is that? And she said the bride was literally just yelling at everybody. Yelling at everybody and anybody. She said nobody was safe. She was out of control. Listen to this. This is almost unbelievable. She told us that she was telling her bridesmaids, so the bridesmaids, her closest friends, she was telling them that they were worthless. Worthless. Can you imagine yelling that to your best friends, telling them that they're worthless? The, the lady, the florist that did her bouquet, she made her redo the bouquet three times. The photographer said the florist actually left the wedding, bawling her eyes out with her hands over her face, crying as she dro- drove away. Unbelievable. And what is a wedding all about anyways? Love, right? I mean, can you imagine? She, here's the, she might have had 1 Corinthians 13 read at the wedding, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. I think in there somewhere it says it's not easily angered. But Bridezilla, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. See, for her, she thought love was found in the destination. And she was going to find love at that altar, right? She was going to marry the love of her life. And it didn't matter who she walked over, who she humiliated, ridiculed, or yelled at along the way. But Paul says, hey, Bridezilla, walk in the way of love. I'm sorry for pointing at you, Pete. I didn't, I didn't mean that. Bridezilla, walk in the way of love. So through that entire wedding process, which is extremely stressful, extremely intense, it's full of lists and invites and food and DJs and hair and makeup. But Paul would say, walk the whole thing out in love. It's the same love that is so beautifully modeled by God. First John 4, 7 through 11 says, dear friends, let us love one another for love. It comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So with that passage and the passage from Ephesians, I hope you can see and recognize that this love, it's a it's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. Paul goes on later in verse 25. He he applies the sacrificial love to how husbands are to love their wives. Laying down their lives for their bride just as Christ laid down his life for the church. So walk in the way of love. In the passage it tells us that to God this kind of love, what is it? This self-giving sacrificial love, what what is it? It is a fragrant offering. It is a sweet-smelling offering aroma so at this point the message is all pretty good like i love going to church when you just talk about forgiveness and love i mean that's fun right forgiveness and love but paul's not done he goes on so follow with me verse three but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these these are improper for god's holy people nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Wow, do you see what Paul just did? He went from describing this self-giving, sacrificial love to instead now talking about this love that's really the perversion of love. 
sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And it just got real in the house this morning because sexual immorality, we all got our toes tipped into that pool just a little bit. Sexual immorality, it's anything that goes and works against the lifelong union of one man and one woman within the sanctity of the marriage bond. Immorality, it's filthiness, it's uncleanness, it's impurity, and it's rampant in the church today. In my nine years of being a pastor, I've heard story after story of sexual sin in the church. Often members of leadership teams, worship teams, children workers, and pastors Sexual immorality is all over the place, and it's here to stay. But let me tell you this, for all you grumpy people who like to talk about how bad the world and everything is falling apart, I want you to know this isn't a new problem. See, the lack of morality in Paul's time would definitely give our society a run for our money. See, back then, you would just be expected that you'd have a mistress. Just expected. It wasn't looked down upon. It wasn't out of place. It was expected that you would. In places like Corinth, you had temples staffed by hundreds of sacred prostitutes or priestesses. Their prostitution helped pay for the upkeep of the temple. Sexual immorality was just normal, a normal part of their culture. In fact, listen to what the Roman philosopher Cicero states in one of his speeches. He says, if there is anyone who thinks that young men should be absolutely forbidden the love of courtesans, he is indeed extremely severe. I am not able to deny the principle that he states, but he is at variance not only with the license of what our own age allows, but also with the customs and concessions of our ancestors. When indeed was this not done? When did anyone ever find fault with it? When was such permission denied? When was it that that which is now lawful was not lawful? He's saying it's just the way things are. When was there a time when this was not done, Cicero says? When was it wrong to have a mistress or wrong to have a prostitute? When was it not lawful, he says? It was the culturally acceptable, normal thing to do. Well, that kind of sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? It's not too far removed. In fact, nowadays there's nothing wrong with sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Nothing wrong with looking at porn. It's free these days. You can get it in five seconds. There's nothing wrong with listening to provocative music or wearing seductive clothes. It's all good. In fact, Pastor Dan, lighten up a little bit. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. But I love Paul. He sounds kind of like my mom. He said, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care if there are a thousand prostitutes down the street at the local temple and they're having to buy one, get one free sale. He said, I don't care. You, righteous one of God, you holy and blameless, perfect, redeemed, restored, forgiven and free child of God, don't even allow a hint of sexual immorality into your life because God's got better for you. It's not to make you miserable. It's not so that you can't have any fun in your life. It's because God loves you and he knows there's a better way for you, a way that doesn't involve you becoming a slave to sin, but instead consists you of being alive in Christ, free to live the life that he's called you to live. So put that passage back up on the screen. He says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
I'm missing my prop. Oh, right here. Thank you. You were like, why does he have scissors? Why did I say scissors like that? (laughs) Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So we started this whole message on love, right? Forgiveness and love. And now it's all fallen apart. Now it's been clouded by the sin of sexual immorality. So to help this out, I brought my prop. If I can get through the door. Oh, there we go. So here, here I am with my balloon. Isn't that a cute balloon? It's only a dollar. I got it at the dollar store. Everything's a dollar at the dollar store. But so I got my balloon. And when we walk into a room, we walk in with love, right? We wake up in the morning and we go out into the world with the love of God. The love of God. So when we enter a room, what else enters the room? The love of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do we get that? That's what it means to be a Christian. We're an ambassador of Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a temple of the Lord. He is with us. His love is in us. But sexual immorality, it attacks love. Sexual immorality attacks love. And yes, his love is still in the room. It's not coming from me, right? It's not being shown and demonstrated by my words and actions. Sexual immorality distorts love. But I can already feel there are some of you in this room right now, you are so proud of yourselves because you don't struggle with any sexual sins. In fact, you are just sitting in your seat so smug and smirk. In fact, when anybody ever struggles with a sexual sin, you just freak out. You get all self-righteous. You get holier than thou, declaring what's wrong with you. Get a grip. Stop sinning. But Paul has a word for you as well. I love the Bible. Put up verses... Three and four, he says, yes, you need to get rid of all sexual immorality, but that's not all. Oh, baby. (laughs) See, we're coming in. This room with the love of God, right? But there's many other things that can ruin your witness and deflate your opportunity to share the love of God with others. This includes impurity. Greed, obscenity, foolish talk, sorry Elmo, and coarse joking. And so we walk in with a bouquet of love, and we walk in, we encounter someone with a bouquet of love, but we leave that room doing more damage than good. And I love that obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking is in that list. Because now, all of a sudden, we're all thrown into the mix, right? No one's off the hook. We've all dabbled into one or two of those, right? Especially foolish talk. I know this because I've heard you talk before. (laughs) So the challenge from Paul is for every one of us in this room. For instance, when I was in high school, I was a Christian. I I loved Jesus. I I followed him. I was learning how to love people with his love. As a child of God, I was walking in his ways of love. But on this journey, right, I was on this journey, and I was at the beginning stages of this love, love journey. And so God, he was really stirring up my heart, stirring me up, giving me compassion, grace, mercy, love for others. But along with this newfound heart for others, 
I was still missing the mark so often. I was very sarcastic in high school. And I was a professional at making fun of others. I had the skill of putting down other people. And I was very gifted at pointing out your defects and your flaws. Pretty much I was a jerk. And it's interesting. I bet if you polled most people from my high school, if they remember me, they would actually say that I was a nice guy. I was prom king. I was popular. had a lot of friends. Treated my friends very well. But if you kept on polling my classmates, eventually you'd get to some people who would have a different viewpoint of me. Because I wasn't showing the love of God to everybody. I was an idiot. I picked on those who were easy to pick on. I'd cross over the line again and again from what is okay to what is definitely not okay. And so I came into many settings, many rooms with the love of God within me. But that love that could have so easily been demonstrated through me was wiped out by my obscenity, my obscenity, my filthiness, my foolish talk, my inappropriate coarse joking and my sarcasm. And I missed out so often on the opportunity to influence others with the love of God. I wonder how often that really happens in our lives. I think it happens much more than we'd ever like to admit. The dumb things that come out of our mouths. Proverbs 12 says, The words of the reckless, which was probably me in high school, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. A sword can do some damage, can it? So can your words. James tells us that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The tongue is deadly and powerful. Your words are powerful. And Paul, he understands the power of the tongue. So he says, instead of using your tongue for obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking, use it for what? What what does Paul say? He says, use it for what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Can you imagine what it would look like if we all walked into a room full of the love of God and we spoke words that flowed from a thankful heart? Everything would change. What would it sound like? Really, what would it sound what would it sound like? I tell you, it wouldn't sound like obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. It would actually probably sound a lot like Debbie Kaikendall. Have you met Debbie Kaikendall? I've been into several meetings with her now this past year, and I have a certain pessimism to my personality. And I'll say something like, Well, you know, we'll we'll just see how it goes. And she'll say, Well, it's gonna go great. I go, Well now, you know, you never know. And she goes, Oh, I know. See, she is full of faith, walking in the things of God, and I, and I love it. Her positive attitude, it doesn't just come from some kind of Pollyanna mentality about life. No, it comes from a true thankfulness for all that God has done in her life and is doing in her life. She lives her life with thanksgiving in her heart. Do you know anyone like that? Aren't they just wonderful to be around? Somebody that just lives with thanksgiving in their heart. And it's just the opposite for so many of us. Man, we come into rooms with bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, pride. Pride gets a lot of us. Jealousy. Man, some of the dumb things that we've said just out of being jealous. But Paul speaks right against it. He says, church, there is no room for these things. They don't belong or fit in the Christian life. He says in Ephesians 4, he says, do not let any, say any. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He goes on to say, get rid of all, say all, all bitterness, all rage, all anger, 
all brawling and slander, along with every form, say every form, every form of malice. Man, he is not leaving us any wiggle room. I mean, he's saying get rid of it all. But again, let's be honest. We've all struggled with one or two of those things, right? And if you don't think you do, just ask me and I'll tell you which one you struggle with. Again, I have the gift of pointing out your flaws. (laughs) But don't pretend that you're little miss goody two-shoe. Be honest with yourself. Stop playing the game. In fact, at this time, I want to get the ushers. And if the ushers could come forward and hand out a card for everybody in the room today. Let's go ahead and do that now. What am I doing with my water? Adam, you can take those balloons home if you want. <laughs> Though, if you could pay $6 for them, I think with the dollar store, one, two, three, four. So on this card is a list. It's a really positive list. (laughs) It's a list of things that the Apostle Paul tells us to stay away from. I want you to take a look at it. And just take the next 20, 30 seconds to identify the areas where you fall short from time to time. Not the funnest exercise, but go ahead and let's do that now. All right, so here's the question. Now that you're all depressed, <laughs> how do we get rid of these things that are contrary to God? How, how do we live this life that he has called us to live? Right? All right, Paul, we, we, we hear you. We hear what you're saying. We've read what you're writing. But how do we do it? And there's a lot of scriptures that actually talk about this, um, more than I would have time today to talk about. But Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, Don't live like the non-Christians. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Again, that sounds a lot like the society that we live in. That, however, is not the way that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off Your old self. Everybody say old self. Which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Say new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So yeah, those darts that you throw at God's love, the inappropriate words that you say, the things that you do, sexual immorality, impurity and greed, that all comes from your old self trying to creep back in. Old patterns, old habits. But it's important that you get this. That's your old self. That's not who you are. You are a new creation. It's time to put on your new clothes. You've been created again. You've been born again to be like God in righteousness and holiness. I want you to take that card out again. Look at it again. This is your old self. Some of you don't believe that, but this is your old self. If you aren't a Christian this morning, this is just you. 
And I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Without Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that comes with, uh, from accepting him as Lord and Savior, this is all of us. But in Christ, in Christ, those who profess Jesus as Lord, we are holy and blameless even declared righteous. And so far as this list is concerned, as my good buddy Jason Dre would say, ain't nobody got time for that. Stop wasting your born-again life on the things that are from your past, from what you once were. You're not that person anymore. That person is gone, dead and buried. You live for greater things. Say greater things. You live with a greater purpose and a greater calling. You live with thanksgiving in your heart. You live with the forgiveness and the love of God. You follow after God. And this needs to be settled within your heart, within your soul this morning because you aren't convinced that's you yet. Paul's words, they're hitting you like a double-edged sword. I get it. You've been cut to the core. You know you're not living right. Yes, there was a day that you professed Jesus as your Lord, but that was a million years ago. And you are living and what you're living and how you're living, it looks the same or even worse than before you were Christian. You've been picking up old baggage and old clothes. You've grabbed the shovel. You've been trying to dig out that old man out of the grave. And he stinks really bad. And you might be fine on the outside, but you're rotting on the inside. You are full of dead men's bones. But here's the great thing. You've been born again. I don't care how you've been living. The day you are born again. And if you're a new creation and you're not living the new creation life, here's something we've all felt before. If you're a new creation but you're not living the new creation life, you will be miserable. Anyone ever try to live that way? I have. You will be miserable. Because at a, listen to this, because at a spiritual level, as a new creation, you want to please God. That's who you are. That's your identity. You want to please God. So when you're not living in obedience to God's will, your spirit is going to be unsettled. Have you ever had that feeling? You're going to feel it. The Holy Spirit, he will constantly remind you that God's got better for you. He will continually point you back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit becomes the Holy Ghost because he will remind you every day that there is a better life waiting for you. And until you start living for Jesus, living the life God has called you to live, you will remain anemic, living a miserable, substandard life. But there is hope for you today. And I want to end with this hope for you today. God loves you so very much. And he loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. That's a beautiful thing about God. He loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. And friend, it's no accident that you're here with us in church this morning. God loves you and he has great things in store for you. It's time to remember who you are in Christ. It's time to put off your old self. Put off your old self. And instead, live the abundant life that you were destined to live. I want to show us a video. Watch it. Let the truth of this video remind you once again of who you really are in Christ. Amen. Amen. You are his child in whom he's well pleased. That's your identity. The list, that card, it does not define you. Amen? It does not define you. I'll say it again. We got like 70% believing me, 30% saying what you're talking about. It, it doesn't define you. Listen to who you are. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It's 
no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's good news. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. See, after salvation, sin no longer resides in your innermost self. Christ lives in you. Yes, sin, it still finds its way into our flesh. We are all tempted by sin. In fact, some of you did some doozies this week, I'm sure. But listen up, where sin once reigned in us, it no longer reigns. It survives in us, but it does not reign. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have a new life, a new life where we experience victory over sin as we yield ourselves to the one who can overcome the flesh. Listen to Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So Galatians 5.16 tells us how to win. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives us the victory. Walk by the Spirit. And it's time to start listening to the Holy Spirit. Lifespring Church, it's time to start listening to the Holy Spirit. It's time to be walking in the way of love. Walking on this life journey down the path of love. Finding our victory in Christ. Yes, you're still probably going to sin from time to time. We are all still in desperate need of the grace of God. But as you mature in Christ, sin will not define you. Sin will not be your identity. So right now, we're going to sing a song. And while we do, I want to give you the opportunity to do something. If you're tired of being defined by your old self, and you're ready to live the new life that's found in Jesus... I want to encourage you during this song as we sing to come up, throw that card at the foot of the cross. If you're living a substandard life, I want you to come up, throw the card at the foot of the cross. If you want better, if you want the abundant life that God has called you to live, I invite you to lay your card at the foot of the cross. If you're not a Christian this morning and you are feeling the weight of your sin, in fact, when you look at that card, you say, wow, that is me. I invite you to come forward. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to take away your sins, and He will. He will forgive you of your sins. He will give you new life. If you do that, I want you to go to Pastor Randy, who's back there. We'll put Randy up here in the front. Or Pete, who's back there, and you can go back to Pete or come up to Randy. If you accept Jesus Christ, I want you to go to one of those guys and ask them to pray for you. And they will pray for you. If any of you are struggling with addiction, and you've allowed it to define who you are, it's time to remind that addiction that you were bought with a price. That it does not own you anymore. Throw that card at the foot of the cross. Don't leave here believing a lie. Allow the truth of who you are in Christ to reign in you today. Let's use this time and let it be an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are a new creation.